Welcome back to episode three of the Derek Box Show. I'm here with Nolan. Thanks for letting us come and crash your agency. Nobody's here, so we're not really doing that bad. But all right, first question: sixty second elevator pitch of you. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. You got a timer and everything. Uh sure. Oh no. All right. Start. Well, all right. Well, my name is Nolan Hines. I've been in the real estate space for just over two years, and I just beat cancer. It was a life-changing event that made me realize how important it is to value every moment in your life. And I try to like bring that into people's homes and lives. And I'm pretty passionate about exploring a healthy lifestyle. And I bring that to all my clients and services. So it's awesome. So uh, I already know a little bit about yourself, but where are you from? Kind of how did you end up in the Valley? How did you end up at GCU? Because I know you're a GCU alum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up in Colorado. Born and raised there, first 18 years, and then got a scholarship out to GCU. Went out there, great freshman year, and uh, that's kind of what took me out to the Valley. So, What did you do during uh, college kind of for money or for work? For, <laughs> for college and money and work? Um, so I did a lot of e-commerce, just yeah? stuff online. Okay. Uh, very similar to selling just random stuff. Uh, shout out to the Supreme Lopes. <laughs> very similar. Lopreem, Lopreem. Yeah, Lopreem. Yes, right. sir. So similar kind of concept to that. Yeah. Um, even a little bit of door dashing, just didn't like it cause it wasn't worth my time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise I was just really focused on education and playing basketball. Yeah. yeah. What kind of, uh, did you get into like drop shipping? What kind of like e-commerce stuff were you Yeah. Doing? A little bit of drop shipping. That's pretty much what it was. Otherwise, uh, a lot of print on demand or selling on like Etsy, like, you know, calendars and books and yeah. stuff like that. Simple how much, stuff. how much money do you think you made over your four years of college? Oh man. From uh, give me a number stuff. and I'll tell you higher or lower. Mm, 20. Higher. 50 lower okay yeah. that's a good range yeah. i mean that's pretty good from yeah. doing e-commerce stuff on your own that's pretty good um all right good question uh what did you do in college to kind of make connections and learn from people uh so there's really two that i found personal connections for me mainly came from people on the basketball court or you know in the gym i spent too much time probably playing basketball in college but i developed a lot of lifetime relationships with a lot of good friends on the basketball court just really good way to connect. Otherwise I reached out to a lot of like professors and people that I kind of was like, you know what I want to do. How can I get to in the, like get to the position where you're at. Right. So reached out to those kind of people. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, you're a realtor now. What did you major in and why did you choose that major? So I majored in marketing and advertising and then I took just overall business classes. So entrepreneurship, finance, like all of those but I really wanted to focus in marketing and advertising because I thought I could carry that all throughout all my businesses. And it was just something that I thought was pretty essential being a realtor. Yeah. Did you kind of enjoy your time in college or do you think, I mean, people in the entrepreneurship space kind of have this view of college that's a little less likely to want to go. So are you glad you went? Do you think there's still a good reason for people to go? So initially when I went to college, I thought it was a great reason you know, education, but slowly after being there, I realized maybe this is not worth my time. I feel like I'm not really learning anything. And I still kind of feel that way. Um, From an education standpoint, I feel like you learn a lot more being in the industry or doing it on your own. Like you can Google anything on YouTube this day and figure it out. But from a networking perspective and developing relationships, especially in the area that you know you want to be in is pretty invaluable. So that's kind of how I see it. So it's, you know, six in one hand, half dozen in another. Yeah. Yeah. So more, less education, more networking. Is yeah, pretty much. It's like a 
more who you know rather than what you know. Yeah. I felt like. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of um, younger people, at least, that are in kind of the entrepreneurial space. They valued college for the connections and not for the education. Yeah. Um, do you know of any universities where you can major in real estate? Uh, I heard there had some classes at ASU. So you can, is yeah. it like a minor or something? Yeah, I heard you could minor at, in real estate classes at ASU. I was just driving with a client and they told me that. They was, oh, I took some you know real estate classes at ASU. And I was like, you're kidding me. That was like what I wanted to do at GCU, but they didn't yeah. offer that. So. Do they like integrate getting your license during that program? I have no idea, honestly. That'd be sick that would be really that. cool. Apparently a lot of brokerages are starting to do that though. Whereas if you sign with them and like, hey, I want to work for you when I graduate college, they're going to pay for your schooling and courses through the yeah. state as long as you go back to that brokerage once you get licensed. Yeah, I met with uh, a local brokerage in Nebraska a long time ago when I yeah. still lived there. And they, uh, I met with the broker and they were like, yeah, if you like sign on with us, we'll pay for your, like we'll reimburse you for your yeah. um, real estate license and courses and we'll give you some like free education, stuff like that, as long as you yeah. come back and start working That might for be us. a good way to go, honestly. I did everything out of pocket and was just like, I reached yeah. out to some random real estate agent. I was like, where do I go? She's like, boom, right here, sent me to a school. And I was Send like, the all link. right, we're doing it. So yeah. Primer course and just knocked it out in like two yeah. weeks. So if you're interested in real estate, talk to some brokers. Maybe they'll pay for your uh, pay for your real estate license. Yeah, potentially. Back to who you know. Yeah. How, <laughs> mu- how much is that? I don't even remember. Like, Oh, I did it like two and a half years ago, but I did a Kramer course. And then I think it was like $699 and they try to tack on fees everywhere possible. Like get this study and get this education, get this course. I didn't do any of them. So, I mean, mine was probably close around 700 flat. And then once you take the state exam, after you pass all your school stuff, each time you take the state exam is a flat fee. I think out here it was like 75, but I mean, if you know what you're doing, you only really have to take Take it it once. once. So, but yeah, it's not bad, but I mean, 700 bucks, if you can get, a broker to pay for that. That's definitely yeah the way to go. When did you know that you wanted to be in real estate? Um, so it kind of started my freshman year of college. So back in Colorado, I did flip a lot of properties. I say a lot, it wasn't too many, but flipped properties with my family, mainly my dad, you know, but I did all the manual labor. So I was doing carpet, roofing, drywall, you know, painting, putting in tiles and cabinet, just all that stuff. And I never really saw it for what it was going to college. I saw the other side of it and I was like, okay, how can I actually benefit from myself and help people from being on the real estate side. So that's when I was like, I want to make that change. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, let's kind of pivot away. So everything with your health the past couple of years, kind of just talk to me about how that all happened. Oh, yeah. So I don't want to run out the story, but my freshman year of college, I just finished. That summer, I was living in a condo with my girlfriend in Scottsdale. And just was working out twice a day, doing everything. It was probably in the, the peak condition of my life. I was actually a delivery driver at Panera while I was doing my real estate courses. And then I just started getting like worse and worse every day. And it was very strange. I got this like weird bloating in my chest and I was super athletic and did all this stuff. And then it got to a point where I was like, I was super winded just going upstairs or, you know, doing anything, couldn't sleep. And I'm not going to go too much into detail because it got gross, but or like just bad, right? And then on a family vacation, my girlfriend in San, I mean, in um, Scottsdale was like, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. But I was like, it's fine. Like, I'm just going to drink some apple cider vinegar, take some vitamins and I'll be good. In San Diego, my family saw the condition that I was in. And then they didn't give me that option of me saying no. They kind of forced me to this random hospital out in San Diego. 
and a lot of like CAT scans and CT and like blood work later. They, you know, told me I had leukemia, ALL. They couldn't tell me like exactly everything about it because it was super new. Told me I had a 13 and a half centimeter tumor wrapped around my heart. And I pretty much just got impatiented there in San Diego on this family vacation for what felt like forever. But, you know, timelines are gone. My family says a month. I'll say six. My girlfriend says a week. So in reality, it was probably like closer to a month. But I was out there and then my treatment sent me back out here. And then I got treated at the Mayo know, got went through a lot of stuff there. They told me they were treating me wrong. They were treating me as an adult when I had a pediatric cancer. So they sent me to PCH. And then I got like the majority of my treatment there. I lived pretty much in hospital for about like two years till I finally got to come out. And then of course, right when I came out, it was like, boom, COVID. So and when I say come out of the hospital, it was pretty much like, yeah, you can go live in your own place. But you know, you're gonna wake up and come to the hospital and get treatment all day, but you can go back home, right? So I did that, and then, but just as of November 11th, so 11, 11, 22, I finally completed all my treatment, and then, you know, tumor gone, no more chemo, no more radiation, no more surgeries, and so far, everything's been, you know, so much better. So yeah. It's been a journey, but that's, like, to sum it up pretty quick. Yeah, I bet. What was the complete, like, timeline from, like, your parents made you go to the hospital in San Diego to when you were completely done? Um, so I was diagnosed... Man, it was the summer of 2019, and I can't remember if it was June 25th or July 25th, but it was one of those, one of the J's with a 25, okay. so yeah. I could go back through my records and figure it out. Otherwise, then all the way to November 11th of 2022. Awesome. So. Congratulations. Thank you. Obviously, yeah, it's that's been a, big, a lot. Uh, it's been, been a, a big lot. Thing. What was it kind of like uh, just living in the hospital for two years? I don't know. It was kind of nice. No, I'm just, I don't know. It was interesting for sure. It was a new, it's a new thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not like anything you'd ever imagine. Um, the food sucks, but at least you don't have to do anything for it. And you're so like sick. You pretty much just get a lay there 24 seven. So I just, you know, either read, watch TV or I tried to play video games, but it's like, it wasn't there. Right. But it was all right. The weird part for me was getting vampired, air quotes. That's what they called it. So when you're getting treatment in the hospital, at least for me, they had to check my blood every four hours. It didn't matter the time of the day. So every four hours, someone came into your room and just drew a bunch of blood. So like you know, I would fall asleep at eight and then instantly wake back up at you know midnight because I'd wake up to someone drawing my blood, right? And they'd call them the vampires. They're always you know, coming back in and out. So it was interesting really hard to adapt to like, you know, sleep schedules and any form of consistency because everything just changed on a daily basis. So. Yeah, that's crazy. I can't, oh my goodness, not being able to sleep for more than four hours at a time. That would yeah. drive me crazy. So lots of naps, I would assume. Oh yeah, all the time. Lots of naps. You know? What was your, uh, your go-to like show or movie that you would watch when you were? Oh, so it had to be MasterChef. Sounds weird, Master right? Chef. Yeah. <sighs> right. So a big cooking guy now, like, once you learn that, like, oh, I can't eat, right? I'm losing all my weight, can't eat, food sucks. I, all I did was watch, like, MasterChef. That was my show. Or, like, anything with, like, Gordon in it, pretty much, right? Gordon Ramsay, if you're seeing this, that's my guy, right? I was like, that guy knows what he's doing. That is the professional cooking. So I, I'm a really good home cook now. So That's awesome. That's actually so crazy. I was talking to somebody uh, the other day that was, like, they – posted something on Instagram, they were sick and they were like watching MasterChef. And I was like, it's always the cooking shows. It's always like, I always watch Chopped yeah, when chopped, I was sick. Beat Bobby Flay. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is about when you're sick, you want to watch a 
when you like can't eat, you want to watch a cooking show. I like the like the competitive ones too. Yeah, like Chopped, Chopped like is good. Like Master Chef, Hell's it. Kitchen. Yeah, all of those were pretty. That's good. so funny. I guess it's just a thing. Yeah. When you're sick, you watch cooking shows. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I got good at like three things when I was living in the hospital. One, it was real estate and investing because that's like all I read about. Two was learning to cook because that's all I watched. And then three is the one I really don't talk about, but it's Minecraft. Minecraft. Yes. How many times did you beat the Ender Dragon at least? Yeah, too many. Too many. Too many, yeah. There's no shame. No, no shame, shame in that. No shame. Everybody, everybody goes back <laughs> yeah. and plays you, Minecraft you every once in a do, while. Right? Yeah. So uh, how did you kind of... Once you were kind of in the end of that, how did you kind of overcome that and, you know, go out into the professional world? Um, so it's been a lot, right? And mentally, it was probably the hardest. Physically, it sucks, right? You're, you have to learn to adapt to this new body. You have to put that old person, realize that that's not you anymore from a body perspective and get this new one, right? So I see that on a basketball court. I see that from an energy standpoint, everywhere I'm going, right? Um, I just have to understand that this is a new me version. Mentally, it's been tough. Um, a, a therapist, <laughs> anyone out there who is going through like cancer or anything like that, highly recommend day one. If you can do it, get in with a therapist. Cause I didn't know that was an option until like two and a half years into my treatment. Wow. So I unfortunately unloaded way too much onto my girlfriend. <laughs> so, but without her, she's been probably like my big mental game. And it's just a lot of, you know, comparing, not comparing myself to other people anymore. It's more of a me versus me battle than like a me versus who I was, right? So that was a lot of the consensus that I carry with me now. Yeah, kind of going along that uh, overcoming, how did you kind of stay positive or did you stay positive during the time you were in the hospital yeah. and even kind of getting out and joining the world again? So... From an outsider's perspective, I feel like I stayed positive for everybody. I helped inspired other people, other you know individuals going through it. And then I just wanted a future, right? That's really what it was. Is I didn't want to just give up now and call it good. It's like I wasn't just doing this for myself. I was doing it for you know my girlfriend, my family, my dog, and then even thinking beyond that, you know, my kids and you know this kind of generational type of thinking. That's kind of helped me stay very positive throughout all of it. But with that being said, there are, you know, at that, that times there was like, oh, this, this sucks. It is hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? But being around the areas and people that I wanted to be around helped that light at the end of the tunnel just get brighter. So it was just a lot of the support that I had. So Yeah, that's great. What a, a few lessons or things that you think were big things that you learned kind of going through something like that? Uh, I kind of touched on it on already, but it's the, you know, me versus me. I think that was a big one to understand. Um, a quote to that is the com uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I used to compare myself. I still do it to, you know, other top realtors or some of my friends that are out there, you know, living their life. But I needed to learn that, hey, I'm in a different position. We're all in a different position in our lives right now. So if I'm just doing better than I was yesterday, I, ha I saw that as progress and an improvement of where I needed to go. Um, another big lesson I learned is just consistency. I think that was so important, you know, waking up, making the bed, you know, just basic stuff that when you can't do anything because you're so de like debil crippled <laughs> from, you know, chemo and all these like medications, just like focusing on the simple things to get consistency back in your life from brushing your teeth to getting dressed and doing the things that you would normally do helped a lot because then it helped me feel feel like I'm getting back to a life of normalcy and I wasn't just this like outcast that I had to reset everything. 
you know? So those were two of the big ones that I kind of thought is, this is myself, me versus me, get better on a daily basis with baby steps and staying consistent with the things that I know I need to carry with me once I get through this. Yeah. I really like that quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. One of my other favorite quotes that's kind of along the me versus me is compete with what you're capable of. I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan said that. Mm -hmm. Um, That really hits me because it's like, you don't, you shouldn't compete with somebody else because they're in a different situation than you are. So why would you, why would you bother competing with them? You can compete with what you yourself are able to do and what you're kind of capable of. And like Kobe always asked himself, did I get better today? Right. So that's something I did every night before I went to bed, look myself in the mirror and ask like verbally manifest it into the air. Did I get better today? Right. I just thought that was also helpful. Yeah. So you kind of pivoting back, you mentioned you did some flips and stuff for real estate back home. When did that kind of start? What was like your youngest experience with real estate? Oh man, I was always doing it for my family back in Colorado. My dad always had some project going in tandem with his work. And I swear I was out there with a lawnmower doing like yard work when I was 12. But it was the main like memories that I have of it is all throughout high school. So probably like freshman year. So 16, like 18, 19, probably up to like 20 is when I would say it was. And I was just doing all the manual labor. I never really got to see, you know, the other side of it from the realtor side or the financial side. But it was more of like interior design, making it look and presentable and making sure everything is the way it was. Yeah. Why kind of around that time, what kind of drew you to it? What was kind of the drawing factor? Uh, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you just, like, yeah, I was what like, is what you're doing. Yeah. My dad's like, Hey, I need you to do this. Right. Or family's like, I need you to do this. Okay. I'm like, okay, like, I guess that's what I got to do. So I did that in while working a job and playing three sports in high school. So I was supposed to got to do, I guess. Yeah. So, so real estate's kind of a big kind of niche, I guess. There's a lot of different aspects to it. What is your kind of favorite aspect of real estate? Favorite aspect of real estate. So that's hard to break into just one, right? Cause I'm so passionate about all of it. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick one, it would be, I'll say what it, what it was before and now kind of what it's transformed into. What it was before is very like, I love the idea of flipping, but from like a passive way right you say buy the property flip it make it look all beautiful and then rent it to get like passive over time I thought that was sweet I loved the investing side of it but lately now with all like the cancer stuff and trying to better myself and get healthy and then being so active again with my body I really love finding how you can bring that lifestyle of athletics back into the home right so that's like having a sport court in the house and just home gyms home office things that give that healthy lifestyle throughout the entire home I find that just really, really fascinating so that hopefully one day I can like bring those two in tandem, right? So I can have a custom home that builds houses specifically like for athletes or for people that are striving to be on that constant quest to better themselves. Yeah. Right. That's what I kind of love about it right now. Yeah. That's awesome. I big fan of athletics. Obviously I played basketball and all that stuff. What did, uh, just to vouch for athletics a little bit, what are some things that you think athletics has kind of done for you in your life? Um, for me, I would say number one is discipline, right? If you aren't disciplined, you're not really going to get anything done. It kind of goes back to that accountability. If you are lazy and, you know, don't do anything, you know, that has no discipline to get you up and do what you need to do. I think sports teaches a lot of discipline, like, hey, you need to be to practice by six in the morning to get some shots up, right? You need to 
stay after to work on your game. I think discipline is so important to make you better. And that gets taught all throughout sports. Like discipline makes today hard, but tomorrow easy, right? And sports really, really teaches that. And I think it also brings in, like, helps bring in your creature of habit. So once you develop this, like, discipline, you become a creature of habit of these, like, good positive attributes that carry you through your professional work, that carry you through, you know, your education and all these other factors of life. Cool. Cool. Discipline, yeah. that's I would say that's the biggest thing I learned, too, is uh, learning to, you know, follow orders if somebody told me yeah, to do something yeah. i needed to do it if i needed to be somewhere i needed especially to be in like an entrepreneurial state when you're by yourself if you're the only one who can like make the change the only one who can mess up you have to stay disciplined otherwise you're not going to move you're not going to go anywhere yeah right? a lot of self self-motivation i think uh yeah. comes from being in sports and all that stuff so once you kind of got your license how did you kind of break into the more business side of real estate instead of mowing lawns. <laughs> so I actually got an amazing opportunity to be at such a beautiful, amazing, like boutique luxury brokerage here in North Scottsdale. So initially I was just out there like before I was diagnosed and everything. I'm like, you know, touring around all the brokerages independently. But after my diagnosis, um, I got connected with an amazing nonprofit foundation called the Baller Dream Foundation where they help young, young adults get gifts. And, you know, usually people ask for, you know, vacations or an Apple, you know, buying spree. But the owner or founder of it is a very, like, entrepreneur type of person, very good business owner. So I asked him, I was like, hey, these are my goals. How can you help me get there? Right, I expressed these real estate goals to him. And he got me connected with the broker at this agency currently, and then that kind of flourished into what I'm now developing into my career. That's awesome. You mentioned goals. How important do you think kind of setting goals are? I'm a big goal guy. Again, back to the discipline. It's going to hold you accountable to hitting these goals. On my whiteboard at home in my home office, I have my daily tasks. And then I have my weekly goals, monthly goals, and yearly goals. And then I even have my five to ten years. So I think you look out, you know, as far as you can. Dream as big as you want. And then break it, break it down tactically from like a yearly, monthly, and weekly basis. And then that's just going to hold you accountable to getting those goals. And then it'll help you build that, you know, positive affirmation over time. Like, hey, I'm doing what I need to do to get where I want to be. Yeah, I need to get better at that. I'm horrible at sitting down and just writing down things that I want to accomplish. I just want to like yeah. go out and do it. But mm -hmm. I definitely need to work on that. Have I think a having your life list too is really important like right next to you to reference it back when you're setting your goals like your life list is like what's important to you right for me what's on there is like my girlfriend my dog my generation my future my family like those type of things that when i'm setting my goals i can look back and reference my life list but like does this in line with why i'm like why i'm here what i'm doing right so i think that's just a good way when you are setting goals is to have that life list right next to you when you do it i will do that life i don't have a life list yeah, you to make a down, life list. Sit down for an hour, figure think, out like what, what you're doing it for. Yeah, I think writing stuff down kind of like it's just like an extra little push to actually like yeah. follow or do something. So I, I definitely need Very to get on that. Like manifesting. Yeah. Right. Do you journal or anything? I do. Yes. Yeah. So I have a journal. I put my gratitudes, my notes, and then my goals in it every night. So it's, it's pretty much what I do every day. Yep, at least five gratitudes. I take the notes or key takeaways from what I did that day and then the goals of what I want to happen for tomorrow. So. Cool. I've tried. 
I can't. Yeah. I can't journal. I, I did it for a long time, especially in the hospital, but it got to a point where I wrote too much. So it felt like a chore. So once I learned how to minimalize it and make it work for myself, especially in my nightly routine, I found it so much easier and very beneficial, at least to wake up to it or reference back later. Yeah. I heard, uh, I was actually in class the other day and one of my professors was talking about, uh, that he hates word counts. He doesn't like word counts for things because, uh, he said that a good writer can say what they want to say in as few words as possible. They communicate the message. Yeah. They can communicate their message effectively in a lot fewer words than a thousand word. Where was this professor when I went to GCU? (laughs) Shout out (laughs) Chuck Gerald. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Marketing professor. I think he's the head of marketing right now. So yeah, it's a good guy. Um, so first house that you ever listed as a realtor, kind of tell me your entire story of what I haven't listed a house. Actually, you don't have any, well, I mean, I have like them as sold. a brokerage, but for myself personally, yeah. I haven't listed a house. I've worked primarily with buyers 100% right now. Okay. So tell so, me about your first buyer story. My first buyer story. Oh man. Um, it's pretty much just straight to the books as clean as it could be. You know, it's just someone that I knew in my sphere of influence and they reached out to me knowing like who I was. I already knew him before and helped him throughout the entire process. Got him pre-qualified, got him connected from a lender and we went on tours found the houses they wanted to be. And it was honestly just as clean cut as it could be. And now I just keep in touch with them pretty much on a monthly basis. So I wish I had a fun, exciting story to say. It's okay. About it, it's but, okay. How yeah. do you, how important do you think kind of, especially for realtors is expanding your network and having a big network? Um, I think initially the big network really isn't too important. Um, I think initially you want to start with the people who are comfortable working with you and the people who you have close to you. You'll just develop better connections that way. But over time, I think having a bigger network is very, very important because if you don't, like the people in your community, the people in your neighborhoods, if they don't know you're a realtor, why would they ever list their house with you? Why would they ever buy something from you? Why would they invest in you, right? So if the people in the area you want to work don't know about you, then how are you ever going to get business? So expanding that network is really, really important. But I think the scale of your network is also really good through like building and developing those relationships is probably more important because then you'll develop more business through the people you already do while working through referrals. Yeah. So what, what do you think are some good ways that you could build your network as a realtor? For me, I mean, there's the basic, I I like social media marketing. I like being on as many screens as I can be. And then um, another way that I do it for me personally is I love being in the gym, you know, playing basketball every weekend, like this morning. Every day, 7.30, we're out there running basketball, playing games, playing pickup, and all those guys, there's new ones coming in every week, and I think, you know, just enlightening the people, enlightening yourself with the people that already have the same shared morals and values or, like, daily activities is really good. And then another one for me is just, like, a shout-out or, like, a to my broker because I think this is an excellent way to do it, and it's back to the surrounding yourself with the people you want to be like. Well, it's kind of similar in, like, surround yourself with the clients that you want to work like want to work with right so i'll go up to coffee shops in not you know you know down by thomas where it's all gross and you know kind of sketch but i'll go to coffee shops where i'm up in dc ranch or silverleaf or these higher income or like better clientele type of like places so then i can be around the individuals that i would rather be working with yeah so i think that's a big one yeah you kind of touched on social media how you know important do you think personal brand is right now it's probably number one. Like I wouldn't put anything else over it. Honestly, if 
you're not building a personal brand in any kind of real estate, entrepreneur, business type of profession, you are at such a disadvantage. Because I, I saw a video on it this morning. Someone talked about your social media presence is pretty much your resume at this point. Whether you're going to a new job, whether you're you know going on a date, that's pretty much what the person is going to look at when they want to get a good understanding of who you are and what you do. So I think building out that personal brand is top of the line. It's the most important priority. Yeah, I agree 100%. What do you think are some good ways to do that specifically, build your personal brand? Um, first first step would be sit down and know what you want it to be, right? So you got to figure out what your message is, what you can provide value through. You got to understand what you can provide to people. Otherwise, your brand is just you know throwing a logo on something that doesn't mean anything. Second one probably be reaching out to a production company or a branding company because they're going to help you accelerate the process. And then otherwise it's just putting out your goals to what you want your brand to kind of perform throughout it, like, you know, months and years. So. Yeah. What uh, social media platform has been the most like beneficial to you since you've started? Do- Not, I've never really seen anything, you know, translate from it. Right. People on LinkedIn aren't looking to buy houses. Yeah, exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think personal brand is more important than anything right now it's there's so many ways to monetize personal brand there's so many ways to build personal brands podcasting youtube oh yeah all this kind of stuff and once you build a following you can pretty much just do anything with it from that yeah following forward yeah so being uh so how old are you 22 23 23 23 so being so young as a realtor you're dealing with like millions of dollars how do you kind of elevate yourself to kind of have clients respect you as like a business person and somebody that can like handle that yeah. much money? That's a great question. I was just about to make a video on this too. So that's great. Number one, like top of the line is education, right? You have to know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, you're immediately going to get kicked out of that room and no one's going to, you know, trust you or want to work with you. So if you don't know, you know, step-by-step step the process or be able to communicate what you need to communicate to your client, they're not going to feel comfortable working with you. So you have to know your craft, right? Same thing with school, right? If you want to pass, you have to get A's. You have to study. You have to do all this. It's the same thing when working here in real estate. You have to know how to guide your client through the transaction smoothly, successfully, and make them feel comfortable at the same time. Second, for me personally, as a young like professional, I think you have to dress the part, right? Now, that one I'm slowly developing, right? It's, it's hard for me to go from wearing shorts and a t-shirt everywhere in college to now you know or sweats and a hoodie and in, in a ho- like, hospital room yeah i feel like with athletes especially like it's so hard for me like when i was in school i was like working out every day after school so mm-hmm. like i wouldn't dress up because i would just have to change all the time and yeah. I, I still just mm-hmm. like, it's it's tough right especially yeah. going to the gym you're coming out all sweaty and you know, yeah you don't want to put a polo back on after exactly, you're all sweaty but it's something that it's baby steps for me i definitely don't do it to the way i should be but it's gone like a transition of even if I'm just going to the grocery store, I'm not going to just show up in sweats and a hoodie, right? I'm going to throw on a polo, throw on some like golf pants, at least maybe not slacks, but at least something professional where if I meet someone going to a coffee shop, I'm not just going to show up in a hoodie, I'm not just going to show up in some, you know, sweats. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's hard because I really want to, but like excluding the gym, pretty much everywhere I go now, I'm trying to at least put on that casual professional look everywhere I go. And I think that's really, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned education. What are some kind of ways to educate yourself for that kind of the transactions, the real estate knowledge, besides just getting your real estate license? Yeah. So your broker is a big one. 
Um, your broker knows so much. There's a reason they are the broker. They are always a wealth of knowledge. You can always go back to them for any question. Um, another one is, I mean, the older people in the real estate profession, you know, with 18, 20 plus years of experience, they have seen so many transactions and not one transaction is the same, right? So every one of them is different, but they will have so much advice that they can give you. So asking and surrounding yourself with those kind of people will be able to provide you with so much education. It's, it's too much. Like you wouldn't be able to get it all. Otherwise, another good one is CE classes. It's just basically stuff that you have to do routinely anyways, but to proactively do them, like not based off of like, oh, I need to renew my license. I'm just going to take my CE classes in bulk and get them all done. You're not going to learn anything that way, right? But if you can actually proactively, like I got one, I got one for investing in tax liens. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know what that is. I'm not too familiar with it. I'll sign up for the class. And then taking these classes on a regular basis rather than just like bulk loading your 24 hours of requirement in you know the last week before you have to renew your license i think those are really really beneficial yeah i think education is always worth spending time or spending money on uh getting more educated for something is always yeah. going to pay off in the yeah. long run i think it comes back to like if you can't invest in yourself how do you expect other people to yeah right? it's simple as that yeah all right i know you haven't been doing real estate for a crazy long time but do you have any like crazy like real estate story anything like a little odd or I mean, there's always the like haunted house story, but I don't know. There's always haunted houses. There's always some scary stuff. You get some scary clients every now and then, especially when you first meet them. I guess for me, I don't have any like crazy ones, but there was a really, really funny one where <laughs> I was at a showing with a client, uh, not with the client. It wasn't my client. It was when I was still interning ship. So I was with another agent. They were showing it. They just went UCB on this house, right? So they just went under contract. And then they were like, wow, this is great. Finished the inspection period. We went after to exchange the keys. And the realtor that I was with was using the bathroom in there after their client left. You know, it's a weird story. I hate pooping in other people's houses, but <laughs> it's just what you got to do sometimes. And that's what he was doing. So he went to use the restroom. And the man clogged the absolute shit out of that toilet after they closed an inspection. And he was freaking out. There was no toilet paper, no plunger. He didn't know what to do because they got like access to the property the next morning. So he was freaking out. And what made it worse is like he started like fidgeting with the toilet and like messing with the handle and was like looking like trying to find any solution. And he ended up breaking the toilet after they closed, after they, you know, went through inspection <laughs> right before they went in. So and he had to deal with this just horrible clogged toilet mess after all this. In the end, it did all get resolved. But in the moment, it was pretty, pretty pretty funny that's hilarious yeah. that's crazy so always keep toilet paper with you as a realtor a, oh yeah a lot of houses just especially if you're out all day touring or helping clients many of these open houses or showings when they're just vacant they don't have any toilet paper in them so just that's one of the things that i've learned interesting yeah, you learn a lot of weird things that's wow okay <laughs> Tell me about the haunted house. Is there a specific one that comes to mind or um, so are there just haunted houses This one wasn't for me, but I heard the story from, okay, so I'm gonna get goosebumps, but one of our agents here, they held a beautiful listing. Um, I'm not gonna say where either, but multi-million dollar house, right? And the backstory of this, ho backstory of this home is great family and the daughter ended up committing suicide in the upstairs bedroom, right? So what the family that owned the home did is they ended up walling off that room, right? And then, so then this agent gets the listing, 
right? So they were never told that there was an extra bedroom up there that was completely walled off. Like you would never know if you. They didn't put it on the floor plan or anything. Nothing, right? They just walled off the entire bedroom that the daughter committed suicide in. But from the outside of the home, from the exterior, it had three tresses, and each one had a window, right? And it was the middle room, so you could see into each room. But the middle one was the walled off room. And you always got some spooky vibes in here is what they said. Um, like every time you walked around, you would hear creaks or, you know, screaming and you just didn't feel comfortable in the home. One day when she couldn't make the showing, another agent had to do it for her. Right. So she went into the home and she called the agent and said, hey, I don't feel comfortable in this home. Is there anything I should know? Like, is it what's going on? Is it haunted? She was like, hey, well, we can't tell anybody. But yeah, I mean, it's this is the backstory. What I just said. She's like, okay, I don't feel comfortable. I'm just going to leave and lock up. Is that okay? She's like, yeah, of course. I totally understand. And as this agent was leaving, she said she turned around and looked into that window and you could see a girl standing in the window that of the room that was completely walled off. Yeah. So, it, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a big ghost guy, but yeah, it's, there's apparently some crazy haunted house stories and that one happened, you know, from someone who, you know, works with us. So. There's some crazy haunted house stories out there. You know, it's, I'm not a, I don't know. You know, if you want to get a ghost guy in your house to detect for it, go Ghostbusters. For it. Yeah, ghostbust your house. But there's a lot of, you know, haunted house stories for real estate. So that's crazy. I didn't know that was a big part of uh, being a realtor is having to deal with. I didn't know either. Hauntings. Yeah, a lot of people will bring in the like saw palmetto and, you know, really to cleanse a home when they first buy it to give it that bitter aura. A lot of people will do that. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. We have a company that does it because it's that popular when people are like, I want to get all the bad juju out of this house. So I don't know. I've never, I didn't know that. That's not something I would first think of when I bought a house at all. So yeah, a lot of people do it. I bet that company makes a lot of money doing that. Yeah, maybe. That's crazy. I had no idea that that was such a big market. Yeah. I don't know if it's huge, but it's definitely, I guess, profitable. Big enough that they can make a company. That's that's nuts. Yeah. That's that is a crazy story. Got a little goosebumps too. All right. Um, you like goals. What are some of your like long term you said you have like one, five, ten year goals. Yeah. What are some of your long term goals? Long, like out like long term? Like five plus. Okay. Five plus. I want to own my own brokerage that is completely dedicated to an athletic, healthy lifestyle. So that'll be, you know, anyone. Like we already talked about that, right? Yeah. The other goal kind of in tandem with that is I want to be the realtors or at least face or brokerage of, you know, professional sports teams. So the NBA, the NFL, those type of things. Um, and then another long-term goal is I want to have at least, you know, enough passive income coming from rental properties where everything I do at that point, I'm not really doing for a paycheck or for any kind of financial purpose. It's more of passion and if I can monetize it, then it's, you know, it works out. But I have enough passive coming in from rental properties or any kind of real estate investing could be equity hold, Airbnb, whatever. But um, I make enough through passive that I can just work on all the other businesses that I want to do that go in tandem with everything. Um, and then finally, I think, I mean, there's tons of them, but another big one is working with my girlfriend in custom home development. So bringing our vision, because if you want something done right, 100%, your vision, you have to do it yourself. Right. It's good to bring in other people. But I mean, that's kind of what I've learned. Help is great. But if I want it 100 percent my way, my vision, I need to do it myself. And I think what I see in a healthy athletic you know, home that's custom built from the ground up 
that's my vision and I want to make it happen. And my girlfriend, she's a construction manager, so she's learning the ins and outs of, you know, start to finish of building a home. Eventually we can mold together. I'll do the real estate. She'll do the construction. You know, I'm thinking about maybe going back to college and get my architect, you know, type of stuff like that so that we can build out a custom home development company that also goes in tandem with the brokerage. So that's awesome. That would be pretty sweet. Two questions, but I'll start with this first one. How will you get to the point where you're kind of building custom homes for NBA, NFL players, that type of thing? Yeah, so that is something that I'm currently working on. It's a long process, but it's more of being in the areas where I need to be. So that is connecting myself with the people that I need to connect with. So starting small with baby steps, so reaching out to realtors that have worked with them, reaching out to companies that have worked with them, reaching out to sports agencies that have worked with these athletes. Um, So that's going to be developing a connection with the athletes themselves. And then eventually, once I have enough connections with these athletes, um, then eventually I can connect probably with the NBA because I don't think being able to bridge that connection immediately is going to happen. So once I have enough clients that have a professional status, then I can go from there. From a custom home building is I know a lot of custom home builders out here, specifically ones that I would potentially love to intern with or, you know, just learn how they how their process works because I love their work. And that would be another side project that I would do is working with or interning with the custom home developers that I want to do until I can learn how they run their business and take it or eventually you know, buy, buy out their business or, you know, partner with them until I can mold those two together. Yeah. So. What sort of uh, connection would you, you said you'd reach out to the MBA. What sort of like connection would you be looking for there? Would they be giving you clients like, Hey, we just signed this new, like for the Phoenix suns. Yeah. Say. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Phoenix suns sign a new all-star and they're like, he wants a house in Paradise Valley. Is that yeah. kind of what you're looking Pretty to do? Pretty much, right? So anyone that gets drafted, it could be a rookie from an all-star, as long as they're coming to, like, initially small-minded in the Phoenix market. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll work with Booker or work with, you know, new people coming in. Like, let's just say Jordan Poole somehow gets, you know, traded to, you know, the Suns. Then he's going to need a place to stay when he comes out here. People are getting traded around all the time. So to have someone be able to manage their players – financial assets would be really important and once you get those all-star or you know character people really high caliber yeah so like Devin Booker he is the face of the Phoenix Suns right now right he's not really going to get moved so he needs that kind of home that he can cement himself here in the valley and those kind of players would do the custom home development whereas new players that you never know whether they're going to be an all-star here or an all-star for Cleveland right those people are like players that we would work with, whether they want a nice condo, whether they want, you know, a single family home that has a court in it or whatever it may be, somewhere that's close to the court or where they practice would be kind of the ideal market there. Yeah, that's a really cool concept. I'd never thought of that. And yeah, I hope it all goes really and well. I don't want to be, awesome. be small minded with the Suns. Eventually it'll grow yeah, out. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah, yeah. That'd yeah. be great, but that is the initial target. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So you mentioned uh, wanting to work on the passions and having the passive income to do that. What is your kind of plan of action to have enough passive income to not have to worry about it anymore? Yeah. So what I'm going to do initially is make everything that I make from being a realtor, it gets invested back into myself either through education or real estate investing. So that real estate investing is kind of the end goal with it. So I'll either buy like I'll crunch all the numbers, do all the cap rates, make sure it works for myself, but I'll buy Airbnb properties I'll buy short-term rentals, or if I see something that I can fix and flip for a quick profit or hold for a long equity gain, I'll do any of those. But everything I make as a realtor, 
either gets invested into my real estate investing account or back into myself for education. Like if I was ready to make the move into custom home development, I would have to put more money into myself through education and working to understand the custom home development project before I went in with the passive. But the passive is most likely going to be through all the real estate investing, mainly through Airbnb or short-term rentals. Yeah. So. How did you kind of stumble across like Airbnb, short-term rentals? How did you kind of get interested in that being the way you wanted to build yeah. that passive income? I would say initially it was like, I got so annoyed with rent. I was like, I hate rent. It makes me so mad. It's like, I want to buy and hold equity, right? I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm paying all this. I'm, pay I'm With rent, I'm just paying someone else's pocket. You know, all my money is just going to them. With equity, equity, it's at least mine. But then I thought, well, what if I can have someone else pay my equity, right? What if I could have someone else pay my mortgage? And that's kind of where I thought, oh, well, if I just get short-term rentals or long-term rentals where they just pay my equity and then they pay for my assets for me, why would I not do that? So I started with the small multifamily, whether it be like a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, because that's what you can cover with an FHA loan. That just makes sense where you can live in one and then have the other units help at least buy down your mortgage, even if you're not cash flowing, which in this market, unfortunately, it's very challenging to find any property that'll cash flow from a multifamily unless you're buying all cash. But if you're going to live in one, at least they'll hold down and like deduct a lot from your mortgage while you can continue working and adding more assets to that real estate profile. Yeah. What are some kind of tips for anybody that's doing Airbnb or even just like listing their house on Zillow? What are things that make an Airbnb or a house look attractive to a potential renter or yeah. buyer? So that comes back again to marketing, photography. I would say, A, if people don't like the house from what they see on a screen, they're not going to go forward and see it in per person. It's as simple as that. Your house has to be appealing on a screen. Otherwise, people just aren't going to go. So that's, you know, from renting out an Airbnb or listing your property, both of those, you have to have amazing photography. Staging your property appropriately to not, like, old trends. You have to know what's in trend with, like, interior design from color schemes, from furniture to help attract those better clients for your home to either make more money when you sell it or make more on a nightly stay from an Airbnb perspective. And then from a marketing perspective, you have to do all the SEO correctly. You need to make sure that your property gets seen by as many people and the people that you want to see it, right? So when you're running ads, you don't want to just geotag it. You want to pull the properties like, I want everyone in this neighborhood to see it. So I'm going to put in all those addresses and make sure everyone in this neighborhood knows that this listing is right here, right? While at the same time geotagging it. So everyone else around in the area who potentially runs across my ad will also know that this house is available, right? So it's a lot of photos and marketing. Yeah. How much, so let's say for a listing for a house that you're listing, how much money is a realtor spending on the marketing? So that is really hard. I'd have to crunch the numbers in markets before, right? So in the last two years where you could list it today and tomorrow it's gone, it's sold. It had 20 offers on it. Mar real estate agents really weren't doing any marketing right? It's just the nature of the market, I think, swings a lot of the marketing expenses. Whereas the market we're in now where you're seeing homes sit for, you know, 60 days, four months, or even years, right? You're going to have to put a lot more expense in from a realtor's perspective. But it's it's very property dependent, right? So if you're listing a multi-million dollar property, a lot of money is going to go into marketing that. A lot of it's going to go into photography, videos, walkthroughs, home tours, you know, print media, online media, everything that you can do. 
And it's just, there's not really a set in stone or a percentage. It's very property dependent on what you kind of want or what your client needs. I think that's the biggest thing is figuring out the client's needs first and moving from there. Yeah. So all that marketing expense is on the realtor because they are motivated to yeah. get the house sold. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Back to social media a little bit. What is your kind of plan on how you'd like to use social media to build your brand and build your network and sell more houses? Yeah. So I think a lot of it, again, is back to education. So I want most of my content to be education for the Valley, for real estate, and just a lot of that. I think engaging your content and what you're posting is really important. So being there, communicating with your audience and building this persona of you on social media. And then just, that's a lot of the main part of it. So that's what I would say. Oh, and staying consistent is really, really important. That's the thing that I struggle with where it's like, oh, if I post something, you know, three times a week, you know, maybe next week I need to hit three again, but I might hit two, right? And I think that when you don't hit that third post again, it can kind of hurt you from the algorithm in all your social medias that's going to push your content, right? So. Yeah. How do you deal with, you've been posting TikToks and stuff. How, how many days in a row did you post TikToks for your cancer journey? I know I watched some of them. Oh, that was a 100 days. So I posted days. one every day for 100 days straight. So how did you kind of, I, I'm sure that every individual TikTok or reel gets different amounts of oh, traction. Yeah. How do you, I've heard kind of people that are in the social media space having a lot of like mental problems with like worrying about likes and how well a post does. So how do you kind of deal with kind of the algorithm's opinion of whatever you're posting? Yeah, see, that's tough. I don't think really anyone knows that answer, to be honest. But because there was some videos like in that 100 day, I'll just use that for an example, where they did great, where they got thousands and thousands of views and then, you know, weeks of 200, 300, 600, 800, right? And I was like, this is a great video. This is I, my opinion. I put a lot of work into this video. Why did it not do better? Versus this one where I, you know, talked for five seconds, was just like, yep, shitty day, had chemo, right? And it got thousands of views. And I'm like, I don't really understand really where the algorithm takes you, but you have to understand it really only takes one person to follow, one person to like, and you're making that difference. At least those videos were more of like a inspiring, I want to build a community that is impacted by what I'm doing. So if I got one follower from it, I felt like, oh, okay, I made a difference that way versus 10,000 views and not one follower. I was like, well, that didn't, that didn't help me at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I think it's important to have your motivation set out before you start doing something like this. Like yeah. it's not about the likes, you know, it's about exactly. that one person that sees it, that decides to make a change or decides to be motivated by something. Yeah. And that's why you do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason behind it. So, you know, entrepreneurship, it's up and down most, that's kind of the nature of it. How do you kind of like being responsible for your own success? Oh, that is amazing. I, I wouldn't have it any other way, honestly, because you're the only person that can make things happen and you're the only person that can mess them up. And I love that. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, it just caught my eye. No, you're good. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's great. I love being my own boss. It's, it's a you know, double-edged sword. You can get as productive as you want or as lazy as you want. And I think that's where it comes back to being a, creature of habit and having discipline is so important, but yeah, I, I love it. It's my favorite thing ever. And also working in those like corporate or, you know, basic, you know, W2 jobs. I think there's a big glass ceiling with that. And I'm not a fan of that. I would rather have to be 
is shoot for the moon pretty much is how I see it. You know, I don't want to get caught, you know, working somewhere for the rest of my life where I didn't reach the goals or successes that I, I wanted to in life. Yeah. That's the main thing that I've been infatuated with entrepreneurship is it's all on you. You know, if you are lazy one day, then your success based on that five years from now, yeah, you can trace it back. It's kind of like, chess you know if you mess something up you know it's your fault like there's nothing that the other person did yeah it's you know life is just a big big chess game you just got to plan ahead make yeah. your decisions and figure it the out the worst part with that is is when you choose to be lazy one day it doesn't affect you just that day no it affects you a week a month out right you when you're lazy for a week in real estate you really don't see the effects of it that first week that first month but you know going six months down the line, you'll see this big gap in your business where you can trace it back directly to, oh, I didn't do what I needed to do for that week, for that month, for that client, right? So you always have to stay proactive on these things. Yeah, yeah, you reap the benefits of How hard your you effort, work. exactly. So what are some of the, you kind of mentioned some struggles of entrepreneurship, but how do you think you kind of can overcome some of those stresses and struggles? Um, I would say one of the things that helps me is budgeting you know, know your money really, really well, like read books, educate yourself on money, know how it works, how these things don't work. I think the psychology of money, I forget who wrote it, but that's a great book if you haven't read it. Um, budgeting, knowing like, okay, my expenses are this, my income is this, and I can get this far until this happens, right? Because it kind of gets rid of that worry. It's like, oh, I don't have enough money to support myself, or I didn't make enough this month, or I made way too much you know, and restraining yourself to know, okay, I can't go out and you know buy all these cool, crazy, or stupid things that don't help you. Helps me at least reset my mind and go, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. We, we're okay. We're going to make it work. Um, otherwise, just being consistent too and keeping up with the people around you. I think nurturing your sphere of influence is an amazing way to keep up as an entre entrepreneur because it's just going to help you surround yourself with better people. Yeah. Well, last thing, you know, plug yourself, tell people where they can find you, where they can see what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, Instagram at Nolan Hines, same thing with TikTok at Nolan Hines. And I'm just very starting. I got rid of my old YouTube channel, but I have rebranded into a new one and there's going to be a lot to come in 2023. This is going to be the year of branding and the year of growth for me. So I'm really looking forward to it and I appreciate, you know, the podcast and everything. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for watching episode three. That's it.